When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome in, everybody. This is your host, Christopher Rennie, bringing you an episode of the Instant Recap Podcast with Land Grant Holy Land. Today, I'm joined by Josh Dooley, one of the hosts from Hangout in the Holy Land. How are you doing after this incredible Rose Bowl today, Josh? Oh, man, Chris. Uh, first and foremost, appreciate you having me on. The nerves are shot. The blood pressure is absolutely through the roof. Um, but hey, you know what? A win's a win. It was, it was an exciting game. They showed some resolve in the second half and uh, just glad to move forward after that one, man. Yeah, you know, going into the game, I think a lot of us had the anticipation that Utah was a physical football team. And I think they showed to be that on offense. And I think Ohio State finally came in with a game plan that really attacked physicality well for the first time this season. And once Ohio State figured out, hey, if we throw the ball 40 times today, uh, they can't stop us. Ohio State started doing really well. And then I think we both talked pre-show. You got to give the defense a little bit of credit for their second half performance. But after the first half, there was really no credit to gain for them. Yeah, it was really a tale of two halves for me. You know, CJ was good throughout. Most of the offense was good throughout, but really even during the first half, I thought that Travion Henderson was tentative at times. Um, and they just they kind of didn't set up very well for him. They couldn't handle Utah's pressure in the run game, it seemed like, at the very beginning. And the defense was an absolute mess. Um but to the players' credit, to the coaches' credit, whichever coaches did step up in this one, there had to have been some voices, some guys who stepped up at halftime, and they really did look look like a completely different team in the second half. You know, obviously CJ was still humming, had a great rhythm with JSN, Marvin Harrison Jr., and guys like that. Um, but I thought Travion Henderson ran better, ran harder a little bit in the second half, got some more yards after contact. And the defense, yikes, but they did hold uh, Utah to, what, seven points uh, in the second Five. half? Ten you, points in the second half. Right, they right, right. The field goal, and then they had one of those drives that Ohio State gives up so often, and then Utah just came up a yard short 
and that could have been more points for them and the game could have been a different story, but it's where the credit's given on that play. And that's kind of what we've come to expect from this defense is they have come up with some stops and key moments. I, I think it's all about pride and resolve. Like, look, these guys have been beat up not just physically, but, you know, verbally by the media and everybody throughout the year. And look, they, they were deserving of it, right? They weren't great, but they showed, they showed some resolve in the second half. And I think that, like I said, there were probably a couple of coaches that spoke up. I hope that there were some players that spoke up in the locker room at halftime. And I'd be interested to know who they were, but if you really watched in the second half, you know, Teron Vincent was playing with some attitude. Tommy Eichenberg. That's the first time we've seen that. Yeah, yeah, it really was. Um, Tommy Eichenberg, who, look, he's got his deficiencies. He can't cover anything, but he really played his tail off. I thought he was hyped out there, played with a lot of good energy. Cade Stover, I don't know how many tackles he had. He clearly didn't play a flawless game, but he hasn't played linebacker in, what, two or three years and got this assignment on short notice. So there were some guys that stepped up in the second half that really kind of led the charge on defense to at least minimize what Utah could do. And I'm really surprised at how well they did in the interior run game. Obviously, Cam Rising had the long, ridiculous um quasi-quarterback sneak that turned into a 60-yard touchdown. But beyond that, they played pretty well against Tavion Thomas. They limited, um, gosh, the... the 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 backup back, he's like the 5'8", 5'9", kind of change of pace guy. I don't have it in front of me right now, and it's just kind of escaping me. But he wasn't able to get anything going. And really, after Bernard's long touchdown catch in the first half, and he was playing defense, he wasn't much uh, of an impact on the game. So I was impressed with that. But gosh, Chris, I mean, what about that first half, man? Yeah, I think the first half, my one takeaway was Jim Knowles can't start soon enough. <laughs> and I always kind of forget until the game starts how incredible the Rose Bowl actually is. Like, you know, the conversation leading to the game about bowls not mattering and like Ohio State probably not showing up and being as hyped about a Rose Bowl as they should be. It's still one of those stages that once you're seeing it you know, on the television, you see Fowler and Herb Street on the call, you start seeing the sunset over the mountains. They show those wide cam angles. The Rose Bowl is still the Rose Bowl. It's still one of the best games you can play in. And I think this is the type of game that stadium deserves in this type of moment. But that first half, um, you know, I thought Utah came out with an incredible edge. You could tell that they really wanted to be there. I remember during the coin toss, uh, when Utah won the coin toss, just that electric roar of the stadium, like, holy crap, this might be a pseudo home game for the Utah Utes. So I say better get out there early and, I thought the play calling from Ryan Day was pathetic. Honestly, at the start of the first two series, very tentative, uh, six plays, two punts. And once again, it looked like Ohio State was going to get out physical. They were just going to get out energy. Any of those coaching buzzwords, passion, effort, Utah had, and Ohio State didn't. So I think it goes back to a word you said. The resolve came and started in the second quarter when they got that first touchdown. And then from there on out, it was just, would the defense be able to stop Utah enough for the offense to continue to do what they were building in the first half? Excuse me. Yeah, I think that 
it definitely felt like a feeling out process in the beginning of the game. Ohio State seemed to be conservative. Obviously, there was some confusion on defense with a lot of new faces out there. And to your point, yeah, I, I didn't love the first couple of series. It seemed like Ryan Day was also kind of slow playing this thing. And so when you enter into sort of a feeling out process, the more passionate, you know, angry, determined team is often going to jump out to a lead. And that's exactly what Utah did. I was joking around, you know, I said this game doesn't matter. Again, you know, that was tongue in cheek. I said, this is Utah's Rose Bowl and things like that, or Super Bowl. Yeah, and, that's one thing. And Utah came out like it was their Super Bowl, like they prepared extremely hard for four weeks. But at the end of the day, sometimes when you have a guy like Jackson Smith and Jigbo, Marvin Harrison Jr., uh, it doesn't matter how hyped you are. Eventually, it comes back around to the talent. Yeah, the talent and, you know, I'm going to say uh, I use this in one of my pieces I wrote this week. Like, uh, Ohio State finally started to play with some piss and vinegar. You know what I mean? They started to play with some attitude, and I think that was a result of being punched in the mouth. Um, yeah. Whether... Whether this was your end goal or not, it obviously wasn't, right? Ohio State wanted to play in a playoff, play for a national title. But like you said, it's still the Rose Bowl. And after that first half and that sort of feeling out process that I alluded to, you know, they took that punch. They took quite a few punches and they finally to start decided to start punching back. So I think it was really all about attitude. And you want to talk about attitude. Ryan Day, that uh, that brief halftime interview, uh, my man was upset. And so I have no doubt that he went into that locker room with some fire in his belly, ready to go. And that kind of played its way down and trickled its way down into the locker room and the players. And so that's where I think you've got to give credit where credit is due um, to both teams. You know, Utah came out. For sure. They came out angry, ready to go, confident, and they put it on us. And then Ohio State was like, okay, you know, counterpunch. And they started to hit back and – um, you know, I, I really just can't say enough about CJ Stroud and Jackson Smith and Jigba. I think CJ after a while was like, all right, man, this game's on me. I, I don't care. You defense, you know what? You can go out there and let them score every time. Cause I'm coming back and I'm going to score one more time, one extra time, just put the ball in my hands. And he was fantastic. Um, yeah, absolutely lights out. Like, I think, I think one thing um, that kind of has been talked about on the instant recap shows in the two losses, like CJ Stroud's had to put the team on his back and he's come up short twice this year. There's been a few games where he's put him on his back and won the games against lesser opponents. But this was like the first game I felt CJ Stroud went out there and was like, all right, this is my team now. It's kind of what I wanted to see from him without Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave being out there because they've been such reliable safety blankets for not only – CJ this year, but uh, Justin Fields the last couple of years. And, you know, you saw CJ take the reins. You know, he made a few checks in the first half. I remember on a, it was like a fourth and three or something. He checked to a drag route from Jackson Smith and Jigba and they got the first down. And it was just kind of little moments that added up over time. And I was like, anytime the offense had the ball, I felt like we were going to score. And that's because of the confidence CJ Stroud sort of was playing with. Uh, I mean, I'm glad you brought that up because I want to turn it back to you. How confident were you in C.J. Stroud without his top two guys? Uh, at the start of the game, I was a little – I knew I knew um, it was going to be the Jackson Smith and Jigba day, but I don't think anyone could have really predicted the level of day he had. 
but just his confidence in Fleming on third down and Marvin Harrison Jr. on those end zone fade routes, like I, I knew he had that sort of like silent killer mindset. You know, you kind of get that being from California. That's how a lot of Inland Empire kids are. And he just came out and it kind of, you, are you a basketball fan? Yeah, absolutely. It kind of, it kind of felt like one of those Steph Curry games, you know, where yeah. it didn't feel like there was any effort being put out there, but every time he threw the ball, you just knew it was going exactly where it had to be. And I knew that was the type of game we needed going into the game. I, I honestly kind of expected a big game from him. I, I jokingly said to my friend before, I was like, I hope Stroud throws 45 times and beats these guys just to number one, silence all the doubters going into the offseason, And number two, just have one of those awesome performances that gets everybody excited. Yeah, I got to admit, I'm a little bit surprised. You know, I didn't think he would come out and put up a stinker. Obviously, he was a Heisman finalist and put up all these crazy stats. But to be missing those two guys, I thought that he would come out and play pretty well. But I thought that they would have to augment him with the running game, which they didn't really do until later. But you could just see the confidence growing more and more throughout the game. Really, by the end, like if you saw him on the sideline, he every time he was on the sideline and Ohio State's defense was fighting to get a stop, he was like, you know, just get one. Give me one. Give me the ball back because that's all Absolutely. I need. It was almost like the uh, – uh, it'd be like an NFL quarterback, a certain NFL quarterback at the end of the game. Like Aaron Rodgers wants the ball in the fourth quarter. Pat Mahomes wants the ball in the fourth quarter. And I'm not, obviously I'm not calling or I'm not putting CJ Stroud in that atmosphere, but the level of confidence he had in this game was similar to what you see from some of the big name guys at the next level. Yeah, for sure. When Utah scored with a minute 55 left, there is zero doubt in my mind Ohio State was going to get the ball at least into field goal range. And I could not agree in, more. Could not agree more. Yeah, and like I was like, if they score a touchdown with like 30 seconds, I think Utah is going to march right back down and get into a scoring position. So, like them scoring, like it was a little confusing, Ryan Day calling the timeout with 12 seconds left and not just like letting it run down, kind of doing so, a clock expiring field goal. Uh, so I got to jump in. That. I got to jump in there won. for a second. Um, apparently, that was an injury timeout. I did not know who oh. went down, but that's what I saw on Twitter right after the game. I pulled it up, and I guess that that was an injury timeout, and so they just sort of had to go with it. Ah, uh, yeah, no, those are always. It's tough not being there because sometimes the television broadcast doesn't cover that stuff, so you just got to hope one of the beat writers is on it. Yeah, and but I still yeah, don't know was, if that was Ohio State or Utah that went down, but I guess that was the reasoning. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, but like like we were saying, C.J. Stroud, I think, earned all the confidence anyone could have in a quarterback going into next year. Um, but I, I think I kind of want to switch back to some of these defensive issues and which ones. I don't want to. I don't want to <laughs> beat a dead. I don't want to beat a dead horse here because we know the issues are rampant. But I think there is two very noticeable things about this defense this year. Uh, a lot of fundamental issues with tackling, a lot of penalties. Uh, anytime they get interior penetration, it didn't look like the defensive linemen knew what to do when they got through, but they get through a lot. Uh, and the constant mismatches in coverage, which I hope gets resolved with Jim Knowles. Uh, you know, I could go down the whole list, but generally speaking, like it felt like. There were some second half adjustments made, which I have to give credit for, but overall just, it sucks. You know, being in the first half, we talked about how awesome the offense was 
in that first half, it felt helpless every single time the defense stepped on the field. And that's just not a feeling we should have watching Ohio State football. And that's just what this defense has become. And next year just can't get here soon enough. Yeah, I'll be honest with you. I debated whether or not I was going to watch the second half. I was so upset with the defense and so frustrated with the defense. And for me, it came down to lack of effort. Like no one seemed like they wanted to be out there. I I didn't see anybody playing with a mean and nasty edge that we really needed to see against a physical team. So to your point, you know, the defensive line, I think that they – Obviously, I think they finished, what, like the top 15 in the country in sacks, and they, you know, often beat up on some inferior opponents. But outside of Haskell Garrett, who was sort of in and out of the lineup, it seemed like, who was like the mean, nasty aggressor up front for the Buckeyes? And I don't think that they had one. This was the first it, game. It definitely didn't. This was the first game that I had really seen Teron Vincent play as well as he did. And he's been with the program for a lot of years. Five-star guy coming in. And he was obviously banged up by injuries. But I expected more from him coming into the season. We saw some flashes from Tyleek Williams. But he's an inexperienced guy. Cage and Jackson were, I, I don't know, just sort of veterans who were there. They made some occasional yeah. plays, but like there was Cage no... is more of like an interior pass rush specialist, which is kind of weird to say, but like mm-hmm. once like outside of like Haskell Garrett in the run game, no one really seemed to have any wherewithal at any time with the defensive line. Yeah, and I think that that kind of gets to my second point. And this is sort of playing the results, but a lot of these guys had not played previous to this year, right? I mean, the Ohio State linebackers that they had for the previous decade were seemingly the same guys, right? They had Justin Hilliard, Tuff Borland, Pete Warner, Baron Browning, and those guys played, what, 98% of the snaps over the last four years? So, Yeah, incredible amounts of snaps there. So I can sort of excuse the blown assignments on occasion, but it, it just sort of continued to happen throughout the year, which was frustrating. And I think that is uh, is on the coaching. Um, but it goes for the defensive line, too. You know, once you lose a Chase Young and you lose some guys like that and you have other guys that are in and out of the lineup, they never really settled on their, their top four. And so it's guys in and out. I thought JTT played pretty well in the first half. He flashed. He and Teron Vincent were about the only guys you even noticed playing up front. Yeah. And then Cade Stover, a little mm-hmm. bit at linebacker with his you – know, just because, like, he shouldn't have been out there, but he was an incredible player at times for Ohio State. Yeah, and he played with a lot of energy and enthusiasm, which is what you need from the linebacker position. You just yeah. need guys who want to get in there and make plays and chase down ball carriers and things like that. So I, I think he probably, in hindsight, should have – always been a linebacker, but he's a, a team first guy. He yeah. switched over to tight end. And I think that after this game, I would like to see him stick at linebacker, but I don't know who else I would like to see stick at linebacker. I mean, I, I mentioned Tommy Eichenberg. He plays very well at the things that Tommy Eichenberg can do well. Like he's a run yeah. support guy. He's a first and second down linebacker. So he's limited, but Against certain teams, he can play well. And when Utah sort of 
you know, ran the, ran up the gut a little bit more. Tommy got involved, but then you see that wheel route. He doesn't stand yeah, a that chance. Wheel route, and he honestly didn't play the wheel route that bad, which week one, he's probably not even in the same vicinity as that guy. So, yeah. like you said, he, he's grown a lot this season, but I, I think that's something I put in the notes here. Like, those are like issues I don't want to see on this team anymore is Tommy Eichenberg going up against the guy who can play both ways in coverage. Yeah, I think Ohio State needs to find some of those dogs, some of those guys, right, who are going to be their next first and second round draft picks. And I think that that's a fair question to ask after this season, because I don't know that they have one outside of, you know, Denzel Burke is obviously off to a great start for his career. JTT played well at times. Zach Harrison really sort of plateaued over the last couple of years. If he yeah, played, if he comes back, last year. If he comes back and maybe he plays that Leo position, maybe he's a guy that works his way back into the conversation. But Ohio State... It's freaking Ohio State, right? They need some studs on that side of the ball, and they just didn't really have any this year outside of Burke. Yeah, and I think I think this group gaining experience at linebacker, um, then getting the influx of Gabe Powers and C.J. Hicks to like kind of yeah. rebuild some of that depth that was lost is going to be important. I, I think the defensive line was relatively young outside of Zach Harrison, Tyreek Smith, and Haskell Garrett, so – once again, and even the older guys weren't guys who played a lot, which is something you mentioned about a lot of the linebackers. That just kind of seems like the common theme was this was a year where the roster just was in transition. They had a lot of guys who had been there a while who hadn't flashed yet. So what do you really expect to gain from them? And then you had a lot of young guys who probably weren't ready to see the field as much as they were yet. And that led to a lot of issues. I mean, next year they're going to get Proctor back. They're going to have another year with Ronnie Hickman getting experience. All those guys who kind of played spot reps. I think they're going to have more to find roles under Jim Knowles because I think he just seems to have a much more better idea of what he wants to do defensively. So I, I think I, I'm not sure it's always a personnel issue, but I think it had to be a combination. And I don't think this coaching staff really did a lot of these players a service by having such simple schemes, having all that stuff. They were never set up for success. And that's kind of why what you said about them bullying inferior opponents, that's when their talent was able to just completely take over a game. But anytime they played someone who could match their physicality, match their athletic ability, they were bullied and they were put out of position and they would constantly fill in the wrong gaps and do all that stuff that comes down to coaching. And that just wasn't there. And that's really frustrating in and of itself, right? It's almost like Ohio State went into the season and they had no clue what they had on defense. And this is, you know, sort of a larger conversation, but they seemed unprepared coming into the season, patched it together, but still never really figured it out, even through and this that, game. That, that showed um, in the first half. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, hey, who do we throw out there? Let's just keep throwing some things against the wall. Um, Bill Landis tweeted this out while we were talking. Apparently, Tommy Eichenberg was credited with 17 tackles in this game. That's incredible. And like we said, Tommy Tommy is good at what Tommy does. Mm -hmm. He's not a bad linebacker. He's just not good at some of the things they ask him to do. Yeah. And, and that's where you have to... You have to custom fit Be your a football defense. coach. Yeah, you have to custom fit your defense 
to your personnel. And that's something that Ohio State has struggled with over the last couple of years. They wanted to custom fit the players to their scheme. And that's just not always going to work. You have to adapt. And they showed that they were either unwilling or incapable of adapting against certain opponents that gave them a lot of misdirection or ran guys out of the backfield, used motion, things like that. So um, clearly a lot to work on. But you can you can identify some guys that are like, okay, they're they're part of the future. We just have to figure out the right fit for them. Yeah, absolutely. I think seeing Court Williams out there gives me a lot of excitement for him next year. He's a guy I've been getting real excited about over the last four weeks. Uh, I hope that they don't ruin him or fail to use him. Uh, He seems like a Craig Young guy to me. He just seems so versatile. Yes, exactly. Versatility. Yeah, he won't find a spot. Yeah, whether that's bullet, uh, you know, probably not big enough for a Leo, but is he a bullet, a linebacker, a safety? I don't know. And they couldn't figure that out with Craig Young, so he left. But Court Williams seems like that similar. He's plays in the similar vein. Yeah, and I think they'll be able to find. I, I, I that's the like when we talk about Jim Knowles, and I think we'll probably both talk about this on our respective shows. Like he has had to do great stuff with the bare minimum at Oklahoma state. And now he's got five-star athletes, four-star athletes, and a ton of just physically gifted individuals ready to be molded. And I think, you know, Marcus Williamson, we don't have to get into his tweet rant, but he said it himself. He had five defensive back coaches in five years. Like there's no stability. So I'm hoping that's what Jim Knowles brings is some semblance of stability for the next couple of years, because it's really hard to ask your defensive coordinator or your players to be successful when they're always changing schemes all the time and having different people with different voices teaching them how to do different things. And it's not like Larry Johnson's obviously been there. Al Washington's been there, but it all starts with the defensive coordinator. If that plan's not good, it's not going to help the other coaches. Yeah, you're right. And so I wonder how much turnover we're going to see. I, I am not the fire everyone kind of guy. I just, I don't think you can turn over your entire coaching staff during an yeah. off season, especially with the recruits you've brought in and the scheme that you've at least somewhat implemented and some of the coaching they've already received. I think that there are some guys on that side of the ball who are plenty capable of rising to the occasion and coaching, you know, sort of a better game plan, but they need the general. And so hopefully that's what Jim Knowles is, is he's the general. He's the guy sort of pulling all the strings, putting his coaches and his players in the right spot to where they can be successful on the field. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Yeah, absolutely. And I I think we've kind of hit the defensive conversation. I mean, we can talk about this defensive struggles forever. But I think one thing that's kind of plagued Ohio State this season is how bad the special teams have been. (laughs) You know, you take out the kick return touchdown, this game's a whole different game, possibly. You take out all those returns to get to the 40-yard line from questionable, like, pooch kicks and all that stuff. And Ohio State's one of the few college football programs that has a special teams coordinator. And that's because Ryan Day's an NFL guy, and all NFL teams have one. 
But man, how how much does that make you mad or upset? Like it, it kind of pisses me off that special teams had such a negative impact on that game for Ohio State. Because with the athletes and the teams, all you had to do was not kick it to Brendan Covey, and it would have been better. Kick it. I just do those pooch kicks to that pullback and actually get down there. Like, I don't know. It's just, I, that's one thing I can't find answers for. So I, the, the special teams underperformed for most of the year. I will not disagree with that, but like the bones are there. I I've liked that Ohio state has always used some of its starters on special teams. I think that that's a good thing to have and that's a good thing to do. It's more so on punt coverage and things like that. They put some of their starters back in the return game, but the kickoff game is something that has bothered me really for a couple of years. It seems like that was an urban Meyer thing. The short kick, don't kick it through the end zone for whatever reason. I don't know. You know, maybe you're just looking for a fumble on one, out yeah, of you, every 30 kick return. So, you know, like, I don't know the, the expectation process. with kicking it high and kicking it to the five yard line is they'll return it, but you're expecting your athletes to get down there and make it more valuable than just having a touchback in the 25. But as we've seen this year and last year, it just doesn't work that way when you don't have the coverage team doing their job. Yeah. On the other side, though, the return game, I mean, Buka. Gosh, I mean, we knew that he was probably on his way to stardom. We hope that he still is. He's really good in the return game, and that's not—that's something that Ohio State has sort of missed for the last couple of seasons, maybe. You know, they haven't had a kickoff return for a touchdown in, you know, seems like 100 years. So I think they've got a good returner. They've got, they had shorthanded guys returning punts, but it's the, the boring, monotonous stuff, the effort, the wrapping up when you tackle and things like that that definitely needs to be coached up and then probably just kick the ball through the damn end zone. Like, let's just stop playing yeah. that game altogether. It's like, uh, I mean, with Fleming in there, it's what he wanted to do. But half the time, Ryan Day, up until they had a Buka back there, would just fair catch it and take the ball to 25. When it's worse to kick it to the returner, just kick it and get it to the 25. It's like, why would you risk your return and turn it over when you just get the ball to 25 and have your offense out there? It's the same for the defense. And I just think sometimes coaches do a little too much. And we saw that today with the return game or the kickoff coverage game. Yeah, so I think where we're at is special teams was probably a C minus. Defense was an F in the first half and probably a C plus in the second. In the second half. But um we haven't really hammered yeah. home the offense enough yet, Chris. Where are you at on the offense and all of the guys we saw out there tonight? Yeah, honestly, uh, I think the offense just did everything they had to do. I, I I'm I'm not out on Travion Henderson, but I do just feel like sometimes we're playing teams where like Mayan Williams' skill set might be a little better. And we saw it. Like Mayan Williams, I don't know how many carries he got. We can take a quick look at the stats here. He got two carries for 17 yards, but the difference between the two is Travion is really good when the lane is there, when the when he has the daylight. Mayan Williams doesn't need daylight. He just makes daylight. And I think at times in this game, that would have been a better option for the offense. But I guess with Henderson's special ability, it's kind of hard to warrant keeping him off the field. But, I mean, the, the tail of the day is C.J. Stroud and the receivers, and that's going to take us everywhere we need to go next year. And I don't want to sound hyper hyperbolic. That's the way to say it. yeah. But 
Jackson Smith and Jigba, Marvin Harrison Jr., uh, Julian Fleming, it felt like there was no drop-off from Olave and Wilson. Yeah. Am I crazy? No. I mean, I think it was just – you had more variety out there. Marvin Harrison Jr., I didn't realize it. I said something in our Slack, and, you know, I guess I did realize it, but seeing him play in extended action, he's, he's big, big, man. Yeah. Like, he can overpower some people. We saw where he kind of mossed that. Well, he didn't really have to, but that contested catch in the end zone. He's a big physical guy, and that's not something Ohio State has had since. Oh, gosh, I'm trying to think. Like, you know, Michael Thomas was a big physical guy, but he was more of a short area specialist. Um, Give Austin Mack the big physical guy tree. Yeah. He just didn't have the juice that Marvin Harrison has. Yeah, so I think Marvin Harrison Jr. is another superstar in the making. I think that Julian Fleming, give him another offseason. He is also, like, he brings another physical dynamic. He could be sort of that underneath yard after catch guy because he is thick. He's built. He's strong. And then we saw um, the the catch he had right before halftime. He couldn't get out of bounds, but, I mean, I said something. I was just going to say. He could have touched rim on a 13-foot hoop there. Absolutely. He had one just like that against Nebraska. I'm like, I like apologies for swearing. I was just like, holy shit. Like that's just something physically. There's not a lot of people on the planet can do. Yeah, so I think they've definitely got the variety, and then Buka is the least experienced at this point, or you know, has the. He had a great catch today. Yeah, and to get his feet in the way that he did, because I think he tapped his second toe, if I'm not mistaken. That was an NFL catch. So no drop-off there. Getting back to Travion Henderson, um, I still think he is going to be a uber, uber, super-duper star. I think that some of what we saw this year is the fact that he didn't play football for a year, and he's still yeah, a young he, kid, right? He's still a freshman. Like, yeah, so He's still got room to grow, and he still put up monster stats and was incredibly important down the stretch of this game. So he'll need a little bit of, uh, you know, better run blocking in front of him. But as he physically matures and gets bigger and better, he's going to be a stud. But Mayan Williams, I agree with you. He is um, the thunder to Travion Henderson's lightning, potentially, if they would just give him the ball. And he had his issues this year, too. But I almost I wanted to see what this game would have been like if it was closer for longer and CJ didn't have to throw for 600 yards because I think that we could have seen Ohio State run the ball quite a bit more and then I think Mayan Williams would have been more involved because he could have worn that Ute defense down a little bit just because of his physicality, his low center of gravity, things like that. So I feel like those guys were... You know, all engines were firing. The run blocking wasn't great, but they protected the heck out of C.J. Stroud. I mean, we didn't touch on Utah's pass rush because they didn't really have one tonight. But throughout the season, they were good. They were awesome. And so um, for all the flack that Ohio State's offensive line has caught, and rightfully so, they've been really good in pass protection. And we saw that tonight. That opened it up, and that just let C.J. cook hit JSN for a record-breaking night. I think he just broke another record while you and I were talking. So Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, honestly, let's run through the records real quick. Stroud, single-game passing record. Jackson Smith and Jigba, single-season reception record. Single-game yardage record. Single-season yards record. Uh, that's three right there. And like coming into this season, I don't think anyone would have predicted Jackson Smith and Jigba setting as many records as he did this year. 
No, I thought that I, based on what we saw last year, I sort of knew that JSN would be the third guy. But when I did like a bold take earlier, I was like, I think Julian Fleming could work his way into the lineup. And he did at times. Yeah. But I thought JSN was going to be more of that underneath slot guy. And he was. But he also showed that he was plenty capable of operating as the number one or the number two. And you mentioned hyperbole. I, I don't think it's hyperbole when I say that and I've got a really bad memory, but that is, I think, the greatest offensive performance by a player I can remember at Ohio State. And, and you could probably give me a couple others, and I'd be like, oh, yeah, that one, that Absolutely. one. But in, like, recent memory that I can think of, it's, you know, Justin Fields had a great game against Clemson. That's up there. Trey Sermon is certainly up there when he broke the rushing record. Northwestern, yeah. But it's like, Uh you know, JSN was just on a whole nother level tonight setting all those records. Yeah, and, like, the craziest thing about Jackson Smith and Jigba is, like, a lot of receivers have that one defining skill, but there's plays where Jackson Smith and Jigba was mossing guys. He was being physical after catches with stiff arms. He was out running guys, like, finding spots in zones, getting open man-to-man coverage. Like, there is not a single weakness in this guy's game. And there's a reason. Like, there's not a lot of players who can come and – put in 346 yards and my dog just broke into the room, but um, <laughs> it's, it's just one of those games where like, there's not a lot of human beings on the planet who have the ability to do what he was able to do. And it was incredible. Yeah. It's, he is so well-rounded and so versatile. Like we both said, like I, I didn't know if he was capable of, being like the number one over the top guy, but he proved me wrong very quickly early in the season. And he just got better and better and better. The chemistry between him and CJ Stroud is, um, gosh, you know, to reference another Ohio state player, Marvin Harrison, his dad, like the chemistry that Marvin Harrison senior had with Peyton Manning, like at the college level, CJ and Jackson Smith and Jigba are so intertwined and they just sort of like know what each other, what they're thinking at any given time. And credit goes back to CJ as if he needed any more, every ball, was right where it needed to be tonight. Like he, he went through all his reads when he had to. He got he stepped up in the pocket when he needed to. Got out of the pocket at times. But I mean, he put every single ball, with the exception of the interception, where I think he was just pressing. He was trying to do too much. But yeah. he was a, another guy. He was on another level tonight. Absolutely, and I think I think that that performance is what's going to be remembered from this game. Uh, I think when you go down 15 years from now, everyone's going to be like, man, remember that Jackson Smith and Jigbo performance in the Rose Bowl when they really needed it? Like, because there's a lot of great individual performances in games where people blow teams out, but without Jackson Smith and Jigbo today, Ohio State doesn't win this football game. Yeah, I'm probably with you. Although, if I'm going to play devil's advocate, like, I don't know, you put Ibuka out there in his spot for the entirety of the game. Who knows at this point? Who knows? Yeah. I I remember a lot of people were like, don't feel bad for Ohio State. They don't have Chris Olave and Gerlis. Guess what? They have five star this, five star that. And guess what? Ohio State does, in fact, have all that. So uh, I think that's 
going to take us into our conversation. Uh, players of the game, Jackson Smith and Jake with CJ Stroud. I think a co on the offense is perfectly warranted. Uh, defensively, do you have a player of the game? Because I, I just don't have one. I think in the second half, I give credit to the entire unit. In the first half, there was just no one who really stood out. Uh, yeah, I'll go. The effort is probably the player of the game from the defense in the second half, but then also credit to Tommy Eichenberg with the 17 tackles. I knew he was involved in a lot of plays, but if I had to choose one by default, one individual, it'd be him. Yeah, I, I, I think that's fair. Um, I, I I might warrant Ronnie Hickman for making that stop on fourth and one, but I think that's just a moment, and I think overall, I, it, it just we don't have a defensive player of the year either, so uh, that's kind of where I'm at with that. So 2021, that season is wrapped up officially now. Ohio State's Rose Bowl's champions, Rose Bowl champions, sorry. Uh, what's next for the Buckeyes? Obviously the off season, but do you think this is that type of momentous win that could really take Ohio State into next season swinging? I think that it is, and I hope that it is for this reason. I think that these last two games they're going to force Ryan Day's hand. I mean, it obviously already has by him going out and hiring Jim Knowles, but I I don't know that he's going to necessarily become more involved in the defense. I hope that he kind of lets Knowles cook, right, and do his thing, but I think that he's going to look at certain coaches and certain players a certain way, uh, to keep using that word, and I think he needs to figure out who's in it for the long haul, who's in it to give effort, who's in it for the right reasons. And so I think that this could have gone in a very ugly direction. It didn't because I think Ryan Day is the right coach. I think he has some of the right coaches uh, with him. And I I think that these last two games, they're going to put a fire in Ohio State's belly because one, they lost. Another one, they almost got embarrassed. They're not going to want to go into next season with that soft label, uh, with the other labels that have been given to them by the media and, and people like that. So I think it will be a good turning point for a team that, you know, frankly, they've got a tough schedule next year, so they need to be ready to roll. Yeah, absolutely. They start with Notre Dame next year, so that's the next game for Ohio State. But, yeah, I think the points you made about Ryan Day probably having to look in the mirror a little bit and look into some of these coaches across from his eyes once they do those uh, – God, what are they called? Uh, exit interviews yep. for the offseason. Like, you know, I, I think – once again, you couldn't rely on the run game. They missed a lot of opportunities in third and short with the run game early. So guess what they did? They started throwing on third and one, fourth and one. And I think that says everything you need to know about the offensive staff, Kevin Wilson, Greg Studera. Defensively, I actually have been pretty tough on Al Washington this year, but I got to give credit. His unit showed up. His unit showed up with a new player who's been playing offense all year and had a great day. Uh, you know, obviously the conversations about Combs and Barnes, uh, these have been throughout the season. And then Larry Johnson, I, I don't know what to do with all them. So I'm just glad I'm not paid a million dollars to figure it out. Uh, I, I wish I made a million dollars, but I also don't want this pressure. So uh, <laughs> that's why we're here to talk about it. And I just think for the players, this is exactly the type of thing you need heading into the offseason. Because before this, I don't want to rehash old wounds, but Michigan kicked the shit out of Ohio State, and they were able to beat a physical football team and find a way to win a game. That 
you know, didn't start the way they wanted it to, obviously. And that's kind of what we hadn't seen resilience. And that's what you need to take into the off season is a resilient football team. And they're going to be ready once I think they get rolling in the spring to really, I mean, self-included, I call them soft. Like you said, they, they don't want to be soft next year. They want to return to the silver bullets label. And I think in 2022, if the defense isn't better, I'd be wildly shocked. Yeah, and, and I think that they will be. I think that some of those players are also going to feel these last two games as well. They, um, you know, I, I saw on Twitter one of the guys said we weren't going to go out like that. So hopefully they carry that momentum and that attitude into next season and really kind of come out and, like you said, rediscover that silver ba- silver bullet mentality and kind of get this thing rolling again. Yeah, I think that's I think that's pretty much it for us today, guys. Uh, this is the last it's a recap show of the offseason, so I might have dragged it out a little bit longer than most of the time. But at the end of the day, we had a lot to talk about. It's the Rose Bowl, the Granddaddy Obama Mall, still a magnificent venue, still a magnificent event, you know, getting reminded of the Rose Parade, all that stuff, and then Ohio State coming out victorious. And you know, we saw the success after the 2018 season when defensive change happened. So hopefully they could ride that success into next year and have an opportunity to build on this and make it to the college football playoff. Josh, before we head out, is there anything you want Buckeye Nation, any final thoughts to hear right now? Uh, no, not really, man. Chris, I appreciate you having me on. Uh, I like the buck off pot. I'm a big fan of you guys. So happy to come on and chop it up with you. And uh, hey, we're talking about an Ohio State victory, which is really what matters the most to us, right? Yeah, for sure. You got double duty this weekend. You got hangout tomorrow. So Enjoy yeah, I couldn't give way. you all. I couldn't give you all my hot takes, so you know I'm saving a couple. They're on the back yeah. burner for tomorrow. We want analysis here. You want his takes? They're coming tomorrow. Hang out on the Holy Land. Him and Gene, a great show as well. Uh, make sure you're subscribing to the feed. That's how we're gonna close out the show. We've got a lot of off-season content coming. Get ready for basketball season. We've got Connor Lamont and Justin Golba talking about the basketball team every single Thursday. Uh, some of the most in-depth coverage you're gonna get on Ohio State basketball. And uh, thank you for coming on, Josh. I know it was pretty last minute, but I think we put together a pretty good show for everybody. Something to be proud of, just like Ohio State. We weren't sure where we were going to be in the start. We finished strong, and I hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, We will catch you guys on the flip side whenever the next instant recap is, but you can find us. You can find me on Buck Off, and you can find Josh on Hangout on the Holy Land uh, Wednesdays, right, Josh? Yes, sir. Wednesdays and then obviously um, usually Sundays during the season. So you'll get one more from us. All right. Sounds good. And that's it for us today. Uh, As always, go Bucks, And thank you guys for listening.